they're always shy in the beginning, Sister Maria, and then in the end, there's like 20 hands, and we have zero time left. Trevina is back there. That's our old MC. <laughs> but first of all, thank you, Sister Maria. It was so amazing. You know, we can really hear, yeah, takbir. Um, we could really hear the passion, you know, that you have. You've been studying the Quran for 40 years, mashallah, and it really shows in the way that you relate to the Quran and the way you express your love for it. And so, alhamdulillah, that we have you here to share your knowledge with us. Blessing to be here with all of you. Alhamdulillah. Thank you. Yes. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum So when people, non-Muslims, ask you about the segregation in the mosque between men and women, I usually help them understand that there are different positions when we pray and also because we have to stand shoulder to shoulder, we try not to get distracted by standing a person of another gender. But then question has been asked of me that what about the same gender if you're attracted to the same gender? That's a good question. That's a good question, but I don't have an answer. Me too. <laughs> Makes two of us. We respect uh, people, but at the same time, we, we respect the tradition. Okay, so the tradition uh, of the Prophet, peace be upon him, is that uh, men and women do not integrate in the, during the prayer, but they can be next to each other. So, like, we don't have to be in the back or in a different room or uh, bringing curtains between. No, even when we go to Mecca and Medina, you will not see that, uh, you know, segregation between them. But as a group of women, yes, we do pray together. Um, and I think uh, it doesn't matter what the person feels or have. This is a moment of being devoted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to have a sincere heart that we're standing in, in the, together as a community, not as a gender. Praying for one purpose, the Lord, that we can do better in this life, that after the prayer, we will go and be the light in the community, and um, that is the purpose of the prayer. So having a different intention, I don't think uh, the believer will bring that with during the prayer. So we have to make sure that we bring a pure intention, dedicating this few minutes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and at the end, you know, it's between the person and Allah. That's none of my business. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much for your khutbah. I came in a little bit late, so I wasn't quite sure if you had described maybe your way of praying, but I noticed that as you were leading the prayer, we generally have our hands here, at basically at the uh, diaphragm, and you had yours down to the side. So I was wondering if you could tell me why that is. Yeah, on September the 5th, I was crossing the street, and a guy hit me, broke my arm. <laughs> <laughs> so my arm is broken, my elbow. Alhamdulillah, I'm doing much better, but I have a problem. Uh, the nerve um, is shooting, you know, so the pain is really uh, bad. So I try to put it down to uh, be able to focus on my prayer. So that's why my arm went up and down. And <laughs> so it's a broken elbow. <laughs> so it was a, good a question. discussion. Okay. Because yeah. I know I have seen some prayers yeah. where the women do have their hands right. down to the side. Men and women. So I thought that's maybe why you were doing that. It's, it, it, there is no one way. There's okay. no one way. Okay, the one way is facing Mecca probably. Alhamdulillah. Okay? 
That's one way. <laughs> Even though sometimes you may not be able to find Mecca, so God is everywhere. Yeah. But when it comes to the position of your hands, whatever you feel comfortable. And I try to uh, make some changes because I don't want to adapt to one way in my prayer because that's not the purpose of the prayer. The purpose mm -hmm. of the prayer is to make changes in my life, to connect mm -hmm. with God and to connect with people. So purposely, I change sometimes, okay, just to feel like it's not a habit, it's a worship. Alhamdulillah. And I hope your arm will get wet better. Inshallah. <laughs> She's uh, one of you. Okay. She used to be our, our, ah. our uh, first moderator, but then we, we worked her to death, volunteered to her to death. <laughs> so she's on break right now. <laughs> but, but in terms of the, you know, the religious reasons why some people will um, have their hands down, usually Shias and Malikis um, will do that. Yeah. Uh, did you know that yeah. Maliki changed today? Oh, really? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. When did they, they changed a few years ago. Oh, really? They went wow. back to up. Wow. Yeah. 30 years ago, they were down. <laughs> you know, my, my thinking of that is like, if there were, obviously, there were reports of the Prophet, peace be upon him, praying both ways. And so to choose one way is to not follow the way the Prophet did it. Because what if he was tired one day and that's right. why he put, so like. Broken arm. Yeah. Exactly. Broken do? arm. <laughs> so I, I like. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. I like mixing it up as well. Trevina, anything you want to say? Come on, we want to hear from you. We miss you. Hannah had a question. Assalamu alaikum. Good to see you guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Assalamu alaikum. I had a question. Um, so, like you said about like, there's no requirement for like a veil or like you know like a physical barrier or, um, you know, separation, separate room or whatever. So, like, do you feel like it's? Um, I know a lot of women don't go to the mosque because of like the segregation or they just don't feel comfortable. Like is it worth it to like speak out and like try to change things at your local mosque or is it like, is it better just to like stay at home and pray? <laughs> like I don't. If we don't, if we don't say it, it's not gonna change. Mm -hmm. So we have to say it, we have to be there. But um, it, it's, a, it's a tradition things. And once we are educated more about the religion and separate what's tradition from religion, we will make a difference. But that needs two things, to be educated, number one, and number two, to speak up. So we need to speak. We need to say that we're not okay with that. But if you um, withdraw from going to the masjid, then they're gonna continue doing what they're doing, and that's not good. Mm -hmm. That's not good. We wanna be there up front, making a difference. Thank you. You're welcome. Sister Aberfi actually once told us about how she did speak up in her mosque when they put up a barrier. I remember that. That was great. <laughs> Maybe she can tell us again. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's a wonderful khutbah. Um, I learned a lot. Um, I just, it's kind of out of order, I think. I, I just want to see um, if you can express your experience at working at the jail system? In jail? Yeah. I'm I am every day in jail. So when people call me, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed your call. I was in jail. <gasps> what did you do? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> so my work in jail started um, 10 years ago in LA. And it's by the will of Allah. It's not by my uh, effort. I think my life is not about me. It's about Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, where He places me. 
So 10 years ago, I was invited by CARE to speak at uh, the jail to the women and talk about women in Islam. So it was only one time. And alhamdulillah, they told me that uh, you can come in and you have to do a run back check on, on you, make sure that you're not a criminal or was a criminal. And I said, okay. And they said it takes, the process takes like about three to five weeks. So um, and then you can come in. I said, okay. I said, first you do the interview. You bring your application, your social security, the ID, original. And then after the interview, we'll process your paper. Alhamdulillah. It was Tuesday morning, 7 o'clock. I left my house. I arrived by 8 in downtown LA. I had the interview with this woman. 15 minutes later, she picked up the phone. She said, okay, she's clear. She can come tomorrow. Wow. So the next morning, I was in jail talking to these women. So that was it, one time. Went back home, alhamdulillah, got an email. She was inviting me to come again. Uh, she wanted me to teach a class. And I said, what kind of a class? She said, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Whatever you can empower these women, do it. No, no, non-Muslims, non-Muslims. So I said, what do I teach? She said, I don't know. You make up your own curriculum. So I worked on finding things. Mainly, it's from the Quran and the teaching of the Prophet, but without mentioning Allah, God, Islam, Quran, nothing. It's all about teaching of the Quran. So after a year and a half, I, I was sitting in the lounge with uh, deputies and sergeant, and one of them asked me, so how many Muslim inmates do you see? I said, none. He said, why not? I said, I don't know. The, the program that I'm in jail, it's not about uh, Muslim inmates. He said, can you see Muslim inmates? I said, yes. Are there any? <laughs> I was surprised. Really? And he said, yes. The imam comes uh, twice a year, check on them. And we don't have anybody here. And I said, I'm here every Wednesday, so I'll see them. But how do I find them? He said, we will provide you with uh, you know, their names. SubhanAllah, God has a will, God has a plan. So after working in this program for a year and a half, I started seeing inmates, Muslim inmates, by request, you know. And then a few months later, they closed the program completely. And from being um, a mentor or whatever my title was, uh, with that program, I became a full-time chaplain. Two years ago, they nominated me to be the senior Muslim chaplain in jail. SubhanAllah. I didn't plan to go to jail. I didn't plan to see anybody. Allah put me there. People do convert to Islam all the time, in prison and in jail. I see uh, mainly women in LA. Sometimes I go to Twin Tower and MCJ, which is Men's Central Jail in downtown LA. Based on the request, they want to see the senior imam, so I go there. And I work in an OC jail, and I see mainly men in OC. We don't have many, alhamdulillah, Muslim women in jail. And I see detainee as well as uh, inmates. Um, but I would say that most of them, they um, encounter Islam somehow by, you know, being in prison before or in jail. Or like I, have, I had a very interesting story two weeks ago. So I was called by this inmate at MCJ to go see him in downtown LA. He gave everybody a tough time. So they needed me to go and see him. I went, talked to him like for five minutes. 
and then left. The following week, I was sitting in, in one of the modules talking to the inmates, and one woman came to me and she said, um, I want to learn about Islam. I said, are you Muslim? She said, no, my husband is a Muslim. I said, oh, your husband, you want to learn because of your husband or you want to learn because of yourself? She said, no, he wants me to be a Muslim. And I said, no, it's not about him, it's about you. So I'm going to teach you what you need to learn, but when you're going to be a Muslimah, you have to be for yourself. It's, it's a personal thing, it's not because your husband is a Muslim. But then she said to me, but he told me uh, that his, in, his uh, chaplain uh, is a very nice lady. And I said, where is your husband? She said, he's in prison. I said, oh, I don't go to prison. She said, no, no, he's downtown LA. And I said, in downtown LA, there's no a female chaplain except me. So who's your husband? And she said, wait a minute, he also wrote, wrote me a letter. And in his letter, he mentioned this chaplain. And whose name is Mary, and she's from a place called Siri. And I said, no way, you're talking about me, and my name is Maria, and I'm not from Siri, I am from Syria. So she went in, she brought the letter, and yes, my name and my country was there. And I thought, subhanAllah. So I had to go and see him one week before I saw her for, to make this connection. So yeah, she's interested in learning. I saw her yesterday, before yesterday. She's, she'd done her assignment and she's ready to learn. So if you ask me what's my main mission, where I'll be, I'm gonna be speaking in two weeks in uh, the Gibord Center here in, in LA. And they asked me to be one of the four speakers. We're chaplains in the same place, talking about our experience in jail. I, will, I would say that my main job is not to convert inmate to Islam. That's not my, my job. That's not anyone's job. My main job is to empower these women and bring the best in them. Because deputies, they see only negative things. And they focus on that negative so they make it, they increase it. Our job is to see the positive in each one of those inmates and increase it. Whether they convert to Islam or not. I had a, many of the inmates who studied with me in the Quran for like four years. But they told me, I wanna, I'm Christian, but I love to study the Quran. One of them went to prison and she sent me a letter that, can you send me any material? Because a lot of inmates here are saying negative things about Islam. And they took my Quran with me, from me, so I need materials. It's subhanAllah. So when you teach, you teach forever. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring people to learn from you. So that's what I love to teach the Quran. And do you want to tell them <clears throat> you're looking to train someone as well? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for volunteers to work, inshallah. And I will work, inshallah, as a volunteer, hopefully in the near future. But if you have an interest in volunteering in jail, you can reach me and I will be happy to help you. And you don't have to do it on every day. Uh, once a month will be good, but be dedicated to that day each month. Or once a week will be much better. <laughs> yeah, I love, every single time I get a text from you and you're like, oh sorry, I couldn't answer, I was in jail. I was in jail. I'm like, what? <laughs> 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 it gets me every time. Um, all right, anyone else? So um, you said that like it's not your job to essentially try to convert anybody and there was a hutbah, I think it was last week or probably the week before about, um, you know, it, with Christianity there's a big, uh, you know, push t 
towards like conversion, you know, you it's in the Bible. Yeah, so I know like you know doing dawa like, you know, sharing um the teachings of the prophet peace be upon him, but like what is like the Muslim uh, view of like like is there like a mission of like trying to convert people because I don't know. I, like I really don't it's know what the what the imam was like asking us to do essentially. Well, probably they probably did ask you to make people to believe in Islam. Many Muslims imam do talk about that all the time. That you know our mission is make people to convert to Islam. So we're technically doing something opposite of the teaching of the Quran because the Quran. You know, in many verses, especially the famous one after Ayatul Kursi, in Surah 2, verse 256, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, In the beginning, la ikraha fid deen, no compulsion in the religion. Although deen is not religion, but if you want to, you know, take it as religion. So there's another, uh, one of my favorite ayat is Surah 10, verse 99, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that Allah is capable of making people believe in one faith, but Allah, God did not do that. So he said to the Prophet, so how come you impose faith on people? You cannot do that. So the Prophet himself couldn't do it. Are we going to do it? The teaching of Quran is the opposite of that. There is a very beautiful verse in Surah 40, and I think it's verse 30. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ قَوْلًا مِمَّنْ دَعَى إِلَى اللَّهِ وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا وَقَالَ إِنَّنِي مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ Who is better in saying than the one who calls to God and does righteous work and at the end says I am among the Muslims so our main mission is not to convert people to Islam but to bring them back to God call them back to believe in God and 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 that is an, is a is a beautiful thing no one will have a problem if you bring them back to their creator and do righteous work in life but at the end you can say I am one of the Muslims, that's no problem with that. But don't impose your personal. Because in Surah Al-Ahzab, Surah 33, verse 72, Allah We have exposed the trust on the heavens and the earth and the mountain, and they refused to take it. And the human being took it. What kind of trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us? that we took it and we did not pay attention, we took it for granted, is the free will. So if Allah gave the human being the free will, how can we impose anything on anyone? You're taking the gift that God gave to humanity from them. He gave them the free will so they can make choices, so they will be accountable in the hereafter. So when you compel them to believe in your Believe that's opposite of the whole message of the Quran. Beautifully said, thank you. How about if you said your own children? So I exposed my kids to interfaith since they were, I don't know, in diapers probably. They went to different lectures. Uh, we always come back home and talk about different faiths and what do they think. Uh, they ask questions. And of course, I taught them Arabic, Quranic study. Every weekend, they had to go to school. And I was tough when I raised them. Yes, I made sure that they have to pray with me, and I made sure they fast, and I made sure. But once they reached the age of puberty, this is the, when I told them, you're on your own now. 
you have to make a decision. Do you want to be a believer and practice? Because now your book is open and I, I'm out of it. I did my mission. So you can impose on your kids as well. Expanding on the previous question, I'm in a halakha group in Pasadena, Altadena, and we're trying to focus on how to live Islam in 21st century United States. Ooh, yes. So when I hear people talking about doing dawah and outreach, I'm honestly in the mirror of my bones a little uncomfortable about just how much of what I believe do I need to talk to other people about. I tend to, just coming up in a culture that's, you know, separation of church and state, I tend to keep my personal beliefs personal. Although on my job I always, you know, every Ramadan I brought food and the whole bits. Everybody knew I was Muslim. But to just try to share my beliefs and at what point are you sharing and at what point have you crossed the line and you're now being just a little bit obstreperous because other people are thinking the same thing about their religion if they can just bring you around to their way of thinking. So I'm always kind of a little uncomfortable about what that dichotomy is. So if you would, could address that. Sure, but before I answer your question, I have a question. Define dawah. What does dawah mean? Uh, to me, I think dawah means trying to live my life in a way that is pleasing to Allah and for people to see how I speak to them, how I react to them, the kinds of things that I try to do to be a generous person. And, you know, I come out of my building on Friday and I'm decked to the walls and people are like, where are you going? What's the occasion? Shh, I'm Muslim. I'm on my way to the masjid. You know, I've been living in this place for 16 months. People had no clue. You know, they see me dressing a little differently, but they're not really aware of what that means. So dawah for me is outreach, but I still am uncomfortable about what is outreach and if I'm doing enough and if I'm doing too much. I just don't know if there's any way to define that. Good. Hold on to that. Anybody has a definition of what dawah means? Or to you, what dawah means? For me, I would say it's just education, right? And uh, the way I see it is correcting the narrative and making sure, uh, at least in, you know, in our day and time, making sure people have the correct information. Um, That's your dawah? Yeah. Okay. Um, isn't dawah when those brothers with the kufis in the pants rolled up or standing out by the beach? <laughs> That's a traditional dawah, yes. Holding out the Quran, shouting at people. Talking about Allahu Akbar, Salam Alaikum, sister. Let me tell you about the Lord. Sorry, they don't say they don't say the Lord. I'm sorry, that's Christians. Um, yeah, but the brothers with the the beads and doing the most with the oils. No, y'all don't know about those brothers. Yeah, you seen them with the we saw hats. them all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are everywhere. Philly and Detroit, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think dawah goes beyond that. I think dawah can be just your example, especially for Muslim women. Um, our dress is dawah, going out and how we present ourselves, that we're kind to other people, that we follow, um, follow that they know already you're Muslim, and then how you act is dawah if you're doing it right. <laughs> you can share something that you did in your life that you felt that this is your dawah before I share my personal Definition of dawah? Dispelling misbeliefs, misconceptions, misunderstanding, stereotype about Islam and Muslims. Let me 
Everything is a lot of <laughs> That's dawa for me. But let's talk about dawa on a personal level. Remember when I left you with three questions today? If you remember anything of my saying, probably, I don't remember. <laughs> but I left you with three questions. The first one was, let's walk the walk and not just talk the talk. So we need to be active. We need to be actually proactive even, okay? So we have to, every knowledge that we receive on a daily basis, we have to put it into actions, okay? Just storing information in our mind is not something good. And we've been storing for so long. That's why Umar ibn Khattab, عنه, he said something beautiful. He said, it took me 10 years to learn Surah Al-Baqarah. What is the meaning of that? It didn't take him that long, but it, it took him, he was teaching us, if Umar said that, that it takes time to apply. So the, the first time you hear the information, it's like a small dot in your mind. And then when you start saying it and sharing it and applying it, it becomes more like information and then it becomes more like a change in your life. So that's the first question that I said. The second question is that well, we are responsible. And unfortunately, we don't feel that. We don't have that feeling that I'm responsible because I decided to be a Muslimah and I decided to be a follower of the message of the Quran. And, and that's it? No, that's not it. That's just the beginning. Because one day, out of all the, you know, PhD and MD and D, and all these letters that they put next to our names, Allah will not ask any of those letters. He will ask only about one thing, the Quran. Not how you memorize it, because a lot of people memorize, have no idea what they memorize. It's not about memorizing, it's about understanding and applying. And the last one, I, I met, uh, the question that I left with you is, are you the same person who was here last month? And that's probably my favorite ayah. Because God is telling us that you can't stand still. There's always changes. And I'm going to give you that example because the ayah is so clear that people don't see it. So if I am standing next to my daughter, come down here. <laughs> it's a bit A. So stand. Stand up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. We're friends, we've been learning together the Quran, which is, in fact, it is the, we're friends and we learn together the Quran, but she was able to move forward with her knowledge, okay? That's the first year she gained more knowledge and practice. The second year, the third year, the fourth year, and every day is she's walk, walking forward. I have what I know. You know, I practice the fasting, I pray my five daily prayer, and, and I'm okay, alhamdulillah. I don't hurt anybody, but I don't increase my knowledge. And I, I don't do anything extra, the minimum. So in 10 years, Dania's gonna turn back, and she's gonna say to me, no, I'm still the same. But comparing to her, I am behind. And that's the, the, that's the verse that I left you with. You cannot be the same person because a lot of people are walk, walking forward. And if you are in the same position as yesterday, then you are behind. So there's always movement in our life. We can't stand still. This is da'wah. Because the first da'wah you need to do is yourself. Because Allah will not ask you about the community first. He will ask you about yourself. If you're doing da'wah within yourself, Without paying attention, you're going to be doing da'wah around you. So I'm going to share to you one of the million da'wah that I do. So her brother is two years younger than her. We live in a very nice neighborhood. 
About 15 years ago, when he was in sixth grade, he went with my neighbor and her boys to uh, paint bowling, okay? So he came back home very happy. And I, the first question that I asked him, Mustafa, did you pray dhuhr? He said, no, I forgot. And I said, what do you mean you forget? You can't forget your prayer. He said, mama, sorry, I was so busy playing, but I promise you next time. The next time they went together before he, uh, she came and uh, picked him up and I told him, Mustafa, I'm gonna allow you today to go only if you pray on time. Promise? Promise. He came back at night, he didn't pray. Okay, you missed, no paintballing next time. It was the next time, and I told her, go and tell Mrs. Sherez, you're not gonna go. Mama, please, no, no way. He went and he told her. So she came home, and she said, Maria, why Mustafa is not allowed to pray, uh, to come with me, with the boys? I said, Lori, because two times he missed the prayer, and I don't want him to miss the prayer because he's having too much fun. He can have fun and pray. It takes no more than a few minutes. We start talking about the prayer, and then she said to me, I will make sure that my husband will stop the game for Mustafa to pray, and then we continue. And to me, that's da'wah. It's not about them to do what I do. It's about them to know that my son needs to respect his faith. And that's da'wah, because she came and asked, and I... So my other neighbor used to take my other one, the youngest one, to school. So one morning he came. I said, Mom, can I go with Lodi to um, whatever place? And I said, yeah, make sure that you don't eat anything with ham and you know, alcohol. He said, no, no, I know. So when Lodi came, the other Lodi, because I have two Lodis next to each other, uh, came and I told her, have fun, make sure that, she said, I know. He taught me the entire lesson, no pork, no alcohol, no whatever, no bologna, no salami, no, I know everything. And I said, Alhamdulillah, that is da'wah. He's out paintballing. Where is he supposed to do his prayers? Anywhere. My kids pray anywhere. Okay. Uh, and I mean, literally with a prayer mat? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because I rarely see anybody out doing it. Oh, we, we, I do it at Burger King, Carr Jr., name it. All places I've been praying, okay. except on the freeway. Fine, you'll be the last question, that'll be it. Um, you know, sometimes we get nervous and we're like, oh, if we pray, are we gonna be disturbing people, whatever. Um, it's the same thing, like, when, have you ever gone to the park and you see someone or a group of people doing, like, Tai Chi? And you just, you know, that's exactly how people see it. So there's, it's nothing to be afraid of or feel like you're intruding upon other people's spaces. People can see that, you know, you're, you're in some sort of reflection, even if they don't understand. Um, so I, I think, um, you know, just view it that way, is that there's nothing to fear in terms of what other people will, you know. Do you teach Najweed class? I used to, not anymore. Do you my know focus is only on Quran, on the meaning of the Quran. Do you know anywhere we can take Tajweed here in Los Angeles? In LA? I don't know. I know in Orange County, but I don't know in LA. Sorry. I'm, inshallah, I hope we can recruit you for our Quran literacy program. <laughs> I know you have your three-month program, but maybe you can incorporate it into our year-long program because I think you'd be the perfect, perfect person for it, inshallah. All right, so I'll end with uh, the du'as. <laughs> 